Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. a proposition for you me and the listenership of this podcast okay cool so we're doing this delve into uh italian uh we've been doing a lot of italian jokes i finished off last week's episode with uh uh, uh, over the top italian stereotype accent to sign off the show yeah yeah and that uh begs some you know we have to think very deep about some questions about um, ourselves um well the bigger question i think is if we were the mario brothers okay which one of us would be mario and which one would be luigi oh that's so easy is it that's so easy to me Uh, what i do you not think why do you think it's hard because because here's what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say you're mario and i'm luigi i guess you're kind of i it's been a while since i've seen you in person but you are kind of like tall skinny right i mean no but (laughs) i i am i'm like average male height in the united states that means i think i'm taller than you then yeah how tall are you every time i go to get my height done i get it in centimeters but um i always forget it but then they say that i am somewhere between there but depending upon who i've talked to they've said six foot and six foot one oh yeah then you're then you're taller than me how did i not know Mm. that haunted mansion though you would definitely be more in the haunted mansion territory yeah that's very scooby-doo-esque very scooby-doo-esque yeah so i'm i would be the luigi that's okay. Luigi's Luigi is the one that obviously has the most sex. So um, yeah, I mean Mario. Mario tries the hardest, but tries the hardest. There's always another castle. Is it? Is is he the one that just gets cake? Is that that? Yeah, video he's the game? one that just gets cake. He 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 oh. works so hard to get cake. While Luigi, like behind gets the cake, scenes, Luigi baby. gets fucking cake in he like the cake, Zoomer baby. sense. Oh, <laughs> Luigi yeah. eats cake. Yeah, um, he does in the sexual way. Yeah, if you hear what we're saying, um, and and what uh, and what we are saying is that that's me. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. You are Luigi, the one who eats cake. Yeah, that's um, true. This went some places. Anything of, if you know anything about me, I ooze sexuality. I mean, you do. Um, you do do the unbuttoning of the shirt thing. I unbutton my shirt a lot. I do. I do like flirting with cute guys. I'll be honest with you there um does luigi do that i actually am not up to speed on the lore of the mario brothers sexuality yeah i don't know 
I mean, Luigi, Luigi Fox. I don't think he's very like discriminate. No, Um, I think he just kind of goes for it. I think he's just sort of that vibe where it's like, man, woman, feeling it. Skeleton turtle. It doesn't Uh, matter if we're both feeling it in this moment, baby. Let's do it. Yeah. Him, Koopa Troopa, whatever the ghost things. Boo. Sure. Boo. Probably Kirby once or twice in a crossover type thing. Yeah. I mean, he feels, he feels like he would get you comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, he would be, he would get you, he would get you to be like, oh no, I'm, I'm at ease here i yeah. feel good about this mario no, Mar- mario like, has main character syndrome which means like he's all about himself right <laughs> well yeah he's always like it's a me <laughs> it's a me yeah so it's like, always about we know mario it's you and he's played by chris pratt and like you know that's really what it would be that's the question it's not who's mario and who's luigi it's who's regular mario and who's chris pratt mario no, nobody us. wants to be chris pratt mario not even chris <laughs> pratt I don't know what Hollywood producer he saw run over a child, but um, <laughs> all those uh-huh. roles he seems to be getting is just uncanny. <laughs> um, so podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. We should start recording. Now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm yeah, just yeah. Gonna... All right. And, and oh my god, this is so embarrassing. I've been recording this whole time. Ah. Uh, uh, should too. I edit this out or? I don't know. You're going on vacation soon. It sounds like uh, a lot of work. Time. Yeah, don't worry about that. Uh, hey, this is a podcast called it's probably not aliens i love that you always start like you are listening to a podcast i don't know if what you thought you were listening to but this is a podcast <laughs> so i think in my head i'm like pausing to see if you wanted to take over the intro and then when you don't this i'm is like a all right i'll do it <laughs> this is a podcast called it's probably not aliens where we look at uh aliens alien theories and pseudo-archaeology and ancient astronaut theory and, and things like that nature and then we uh we use it to talk about real world history behind cool places and people and cultures and things uh, while also mostly debunking a lot of alien stuff, but not always, but most of the time we do that. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm the person I'm, my name is Scott Nicewander. I'm the person on this show. Well, that number one is most like Luigi, I think is what we figured out. Um, but really it's up to you listener to decide on Twitter who, yeah. uh, who's who, but also I'm the person who really, I just, I know nothing. I look to my older brother, Mario for <laughs> guidance. And uh, it's a me, Tristan Johnson. Uh, (laughs) I am your art history professor uh, today. I've come in with my carousel slide reel. Um, I'm going to talk in a very dry voice about Neoplatonism and just uh, next slide, please. Um, (laughs) We're continuing the the series that we uh, started last week. We didn't intend for it to be two parts, but uh, we goofed off for like an hour. (laughs) We just kept talking and then, yeah, we we had to break it up. Uh, We're talking about ancient, not ancient, but like a medieval sort of Renaissance sort of style uh, paintings that may or may not depict aliens in them. Uh, so go listen to the last episode to sort of catch up to where we're at. Uh, if you want a quick refresher, mostly it's just our brains thinking things are faces and or clouds that are supposed to be like angels and not aliens. Yep. That's sort of where we're at. Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, we're going to get a little bit more of that. But um, yeah, this we're talking about um, the very well trod ground, very, very big part of the ancient astronaut theory that like a lot of medieval and renaissance paintings that have uh iconographic symbols that we don't understand today or that a person who's not an art historian doesn't understand today and say well that that's an alien i don't know what it is so it's definitely an alien and and also just doing over-the-top italian accents to uh to enjoy it because uh we don't get to uh do italy and also um you can listen to last episode to learn about mamma mia's law so that this is all okay (laughs) Yeah, Mamma Mia's Law says doing all the Italian accents as jokes is 
fine. If your country yep. did colonization, it's okay to make fun of it. That's right. Yep. Tristan, do your best American accent. Oh, hell yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, let's go to America. Let's talk a little bit about, let's talk about Nostra Signora della Neve. Um, that was, I don't think I've ever heard an American say that, those words before, but I like where your head's at. Let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, the next painting we've got on our list is uh, Nostra Signora della Neve, which uh, I think Perfect. means Our Lady of the Neve. <laughs> Sure. Uh, so if, if you were to direct in, direct your attention to this slide, please. Um, <laughs> this is this is an interesting one. Definitely needs a little bit of uh, yeah. to someone who doesn't know what's going on. There's definitely something interesting. What do you how does this look to you? Yeah, paint I'll, us, a, I'll paint us a thing with your thought fossils. I, I will do that. And once again, we're going to tweet out all these images at probs, not aliens on Twitter. So go follow us there. But if I can if I can just use my thought fossils to describe this painting, I'm going to do it from I was trying to decide which direction, top to bottom or bottom to top, because all the fun stuff sort of happening in the middle there. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll describe it from from bottom to top. So it looks like a, a crowd of people all sort of in a circle. There's like a guy in some religious garb with what looks to be some sort of like gardening tool or something like a rake, uh, just like doing something on the ground. Not super important. You go up. And uh, if you go, if you go all the way up, you see presumably Jesus looks Jesus like yeah, Jesus like in a big circle in the sky floating on a cloud. Uh, and then in between these two images in between not images in between these two scenes, right in Jesus in the sky, people on the ground in a circle. Also in the sky is what looks to be to the layman, let's say, a horde or an army, perhaps, of alien spaceships descending on planet Earth, all flying together, presumably under Jesus's command. <laughs> yeah, Jesus commands the Martians. It does look like something like he is ushering the like a fleet of ships from like Mars Attacks, the Tim Burton movie yeah. from the 90s. Um, yes, which is a movie I adore and have not seen in too long in way too long. And if I remember correctly, it actually has baby Jack Black in it. Oh, whoa. I didn't know that. Yeah. He plays like a soldier who gets killed in like the first like 20 minutes. There you go, Jack Black. But that's also the part. That's also the one that has the best um, the best few seconds of, uh, of cinema ever where uh, the Capitol building gets blown up by the aliens. And then this old lady is just like, they blew up Congress. Ha! Man, I actually I went to a, uh, the Museum of uh, Pop Culture recently in Seattle and they had some props from Mars Attacks and uh, it was very fun to look at how movies used to be made with physical things and not just computers. Fun movie fact so probably wrong. Um, you know how all movies look like uh, computer game bullshit today? Yeah. Apparently that has to do with the fact that because of the legacy of Hollywood every aspect of making movie is done by people who are unionized except for the people who make computer graphics which means that they can be underpaid and overworked worked to uh to the end and back which means that it is usually much cheaper to uh do cgi when uh, a practical effect might take somebody who belongs to a union and you have to pay a certain amount of money mm. to and that's why 
mean, all uh, movies look like video games now. And look, people, we're not old. Maybe we are. And we're not complaining about oh, things these days. But maybe we are. But mostly we're complaining about uh, people not being treated well. Yeah. Unionize and whatnot. Plus it looks better. Remember, um, so I don't know where like the Dark Knight sits anymore in like the take zone. But sure. Uh, I still think often about how they, they flipped an entire goddamn semi truck in that scene. And like, oh, yeah, yeah they like, blew up. They blew up an entire hospital. That was real. The hospital they blew up was to scale and they blew it up. That's a real thing. I'm, that's not a joke that I'm making. That's a real thing that Chris Nolan did. He, he blew up a hospital. I mean, it wasn't a, actually a hospital. He blew up but a it hospital. Was a real- it was active at the time. Then <laughs> Chris Nolan is an actual terrorist. <laughs> and Aaron Eckhart didn't just did not recover from what they did to his face. But he was in it, man. He was in it. No CGI required. Oh, yeah. I guess there was that. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> I forgot about the whole Two-Face part of it. Okay, yeah, that, yeah. that definitely... That one, that maybe they did some CGI they touched for that him up a one. Little but, like, have you seen Aaron Eckhart in a movie since? Probably not. I, 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 actually, the CGI is that all of the movies since then have been CGI his face <laughs> back together. <laughs> Because he actually dipped his face in gasoline and set it on fire for the movie because he's a method actor. All actors are method actors these days because that's everyone loves that. And it's always very nice. And you never hear bad stories about it. From what I hear on set is everyone loves working with method actors. Everyone loves it. No complaints. Um, Anyways, back to this painting. Um, We we can't devolve into a movie podcast. We did that so quickly. Yeah. We we did that so quickly and for so long just now. (laughs) It's fine. This, This is what you guys like it right you guys like when we do yeah. it yeah look every frame a painting every, or something every yeah every frame of painting now let's talk about this painting of yep. the alien invasion uh Je- the jesus the jesus led alien invasion yes um, might be a mormon thing i don't know uh <laughs> but um of uh nostra signora della neve yeah so it looks like aliens are invading but it's actually all of the mormons going off to their own planets <laughs> yeah they're leaving oh Earth. no i don't want to be too mean to the mormons all people right, are already the, so mean to them on the internet all right just the italians yeah um so i miracolo della neve uh was a painting that came out in 1428 by uh masolino de Panicale, and yeah uh this has been cited as uh ufos since the early 70s when it was reported in a italian news article and you're like hey this looks like aliens yeah that feels right to me yeah so uh i tried to look up what this is and i found um a, a little a little story okay Ooh, i like it story time this is apparently a very interesting little bit. Uh, it's a 13th century legend about something that might have happened in the 4th century in Masolino. Uh, sorry, it's called um, Masolino de Panicale or uh, Tomasio de Cristoforo Fini. Um, Fini. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, so apparently that guy painted something called The Miracle of the Snow. Okay. So that's, yeah, the guy with the little that I said had a garden tool. It's just a... Just a guy snoveling, shoveling some snow. Yeah, uh, he painted it as the centerpiece of a triptych, which is sort of like um, if a triptych is basically like three pictures that are kind of to get like held together. So this oh, would be yeah. the center part of like a triptych. Um, okay. So the, uh, for a ch- for the Church of Santa Maria Maggiore uh, in uh, Rome in 1428. 
And apparently it has to, this is what the legend, this is how the legend goes. Uh, Pope Liberius was ordered by angels to construct a new church in the exact place where miraculous snowing would soon manifest. The day after, a strange substance similar to the, to snow fell, this is how the ancient aliens people talk about it, by the way. A strange substance similar to snow fell from the sky <laughs> on a warm day in August. The phenomenon okay. was linked to a single zone of Rome in which that was then constructed the Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore. Uh, what was the cause of this impossible snowing? Masolino from Canicale in his painting represents a detailed scene of the event with snow falling from a large and lengthened cloud, grayish and with the shape of a cigar. Under this cloud are many other smaller clouds. Careful examination of these reveals that they do not seem like normal clouds. No, they don't. They are, in fact, all clearly delineated in their contours and not vaporous and represented in identical pairs with only the upper portion illuminated, as are many flying saucers. This is so silly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's an interesting. That's an interesting way of describing it. So, um, yeah, okay. Instead, can I, I just decided, break? Can I? <laughs> No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna, I wanted to break this down to point out how silly it is, but you continue. So that's a very interesting uh, way of describing it. So I decided to look up what the actual story says. Uh, oh, and see yeah, what yeah, kind of please. words they use. So this is, uh, this is the, this is the same story uh, from the uh, more directly translated source. In the morning, the inhabitants of Esquilin Hill got a strange surprise. During the night, snow had fallen, and a soft mantle of it covered the soil. With such a miracle, the Virgin Mary indicated to a noble called Giovanni and his wife that she wanted a shrine built there in her honor. For a long time, the old couple who had no sons had desired to employ their riches in a work that honored the Mother of God, and to such an aim prayed with fervor so great that she showed them the way to which they could fulfill their wish. The Virgin appeared to them in a dream, telling them to build a church dedicated to Mary in the place where the following morning would reveal that snow had fallen miraculously in the night. Astonished by the miracle, the couple went to Pope Liberius to tell him what happened. But the Pope had, during the night, dreamed the same thing. Liberius, followed by Giovanni and a crowd, went up the Esquiline Hill and found that the still intact snow marked the outline of the new church, which was soon constructed at the expense of Giovanni and his wife. So that's okay. the story. That's the story of the miracle of the snow. Oh, what are the odds that um, Mrs. Claus sent Jingle and Jangle to go convince uh, Snow Miser to get put some snow down in Southtown so that people would believe in Santa Claus again? Well, is that yeah, the clausometer that, needed to be refilled, right? Right, 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 right. Or else we would have a blue Christmas. It's true. Yeah. Um. So looking at this, you can see that there's a few details that have been massaged to sound a little bit more UFO-y. Um, like Very much so. Like snow-like material. Yeah, the, the <laughs> so original is just snow. Yeah, the original's like, it was snow. And they're like, it was a snow-like material. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, the, the whole bit where they describe like, these are clearly not clouds for they're not, they're, they don't look to be vaporous or va whatever. Like, that's just, I don't know, man. Someone just drew clouds and they're like thick. I don't know what you want. And they're like, and they're illuminated from the top, but not the bottom. And it's like, yeah, dude, that's what happens when the sun is out. <laughs> Things are illuminated from the top and not the bottom. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This is <laughs> some of the, some of the alien claims here are a little silly to me. Yeah. Um, so this is their clouds. 
not UFOs. The clouds. Um, it's, 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 it's stylized in a way that apparently yes. was uh, like less, it, like there was a lot of realism in the early 15th century in art, um, but this had less of it, but yeah. it is still obvious that they are clouds. <laughs> I, I will say this. There are like one, maybe two of them that really do look like what we would call a flying saucer, um, but the rest of them just look like lumps. Like it, you would almost, it would almost be more convincing to say that they were f- floating rocks than to say that they were floating spaceships Mm -hmm. just because they don't look very uniform to me. And now I don't want to, you know, knock on any Catholics, your faith and belief are your own. But uh, I will add that it does seem like the miracle of the snow might have a few questions in it as well, even though it is a I think it is a verified miracle, according to Catholics. But um, the the Basilica of St. Maria Maggiore on the Esquiline Hill uh, doesn't seem to have happened during the reign of Pope Liberius, but during the reign of Pope Sixtus III in the fifth century. Um, And it was the first church dedicated to the Virgin Mary, officially defined as the mother of God in Hephaestus in 431 CE by the third ecumenical council. But there's an interesting thing about the Esquiline Hill that is uh, maybe something a little bit interesting, which is that apparently this was also the site of a temple to the goddess Juno, which was a Roman goddess of childhood and or childbirth and light. And so they probably built a church on the place on the same hill where the temple used to be in order to sort of kill the Roman because this is still early enough that like they were still trying to deal with people who still believed in the Roman gods and stuff like that. And so you think about it, you put the Virgin Mary on top of the old goddess of childbirth and you're sort of trying to, you know, erase the pagan god from that place. And this happened a lot across Europe um, where they would take, you know, the sites or even the iconography associated with like uh, different pagan uh, pagan symbols and sort of associate them like the pitchfork with uh, with Neptune and uh, and other kind of cases like that. Um, And that that happens a lot. There's even um, there's even a really fun one that showed, I guess, the first attempts to bring Christianity to the Norse where they have Mm. uh, there's this this drawing of Jesus uh, wielding a spear and also, I think, wielding Mjolnir. Kick ass. (laughs) It's like, of course, the Vikings would think of warrior Jesus. (laughs) Fight those sins, but not the sinners. Just the sins. Mm -hmm. Fight the sin, not the sinner. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the Miracle of the Snow did get did get popular imaginations. There's actually a lot of paintings of the miracle of the snow. Um, And there are a lot of churches that are dedicated to quote the Madonna of the snow uh, in Italy. And so this is a, this is another case of that. So it's not like this is weird or out of place. No, it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like they're trying to turn. It feels like alien conspiracy theorists or whatever, are just trying to take something that just barely maybe looks like it could be flying saucers and are just like twisting everything to make it seem much more mysterious than mm-hmm. it actually is. Yeah, there's this is a thing looks like a thing. And also the idea that not only do we lack their cultural context, but they lack ours, which means that if he was painting these this painting today, he might be like, ah, maybe I should change these clouds because they kind of look more like UFOs than clouds. But uh, <laughs> right. but uh, he doesn't know what a UFO is because we haven't invented those yet. So uh, yeah, they're definitely still I think it's pretty obvious that they're still clouds. That being said, uh, this next image 
that you have here uh this looks the most like someone flying around in a spaceship because there is very clearly multiple like people that look to be riding around or flying around in in the sky in some sort of vehicle spacecraft I don't know it's very cool it's very convincing to me mm-hmm. and uh, I can't wait to see how you could dare disprove this one and we will get we will talk about that after this All right, I'm I'm like I'm flying much like these people in this painting. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, Ooh. and I'm on the edge of that seat. And I need to know, yeah, what's up with these paintings? What's up with these people flying around in ships in the sky? Mm. So this painting, it's a crucifixion of Jesus, as you can see by the whole Jesus yeah, yeah, being yeah. pinned to the that's cross. The thing. Bo- that's the boring part. Um, yeah, Jesus on it. We've seen this before. What I see is—is is this one of those um, triptychs that you were talking about? Three uh, paintings, possibly. I, I okay. can't confirm that, but um, it definitely okay. looks like it a little it bit. It looks like they're split up into thirds, but that could just be for whatever reason. Anyway. It looks like in the top right-hand corner and the top left-hand corner, it looks like uh, in each corner, there's like one person in a spaceship. Uh, the person on the uh, left in the sky is in like this bright orange sort of fiery looking spaceship. And there are people hmm. in it. It's very clearly people. And then it's like chase. It's looking ahead, like almost chasing this other person in the top right, who's in like a more silvery, sleek sort of spaceship. Yeah, almost like a... Uh, crescent look to it yeah and it, it it definitely it's got it's shiny it's got like sparks uh, shiny sparks coming off of it and it's like the person is looking behind them like watching this person sort of catch up to them and then like in the foreground there's like jesus and all these other people and angels and whatever but like what's up with these people in spaceships man that's a good question so this painting is um it it's titled as just the crucifixion of jesus it comes from the year 1350 um, we actually don't know who painted it, um, but this oh, is cur- even more mysterious. Yeah. Uh, this is currently sitting in a place called the uh, Visoki Dakani uh, Monastery in the country of Kosovo today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, in Eastern Europe, former Yugoslavia. Um, sure. And yeah, you do see what looks like objects with quote unquote pilots in them. Um, yes. Something that looks like a comet, maybe. Um, it also does look like the people, at least one of them looks like it, it, they're like using their arms and hands to like almost steer in some capacity. Yeah, it is pretty good looking uh, in that sense. Um, So there's a lot of discussion about what these might be, but a lot of people also believe that they do look quite a bit like spaceships, sort of like, gives me, um, gives me King Pakal kind of vibes. Yeah. and there is um there is like it is a little weird, but um it does seem that what I can find out is that uh art historians say that this is uh the sun and the moon. Um specifically oh. because that there was uh there is some stuff from ancient mythology about like kind of like with like Helios and stuff like that of people piloting the moon and the sun across the sky, and okay. that had become normal, and then um then it became sort of part of the artistic style. This would be like saying, um, like when we were talking about a few weeks ago with the um the battle over nuremberg that it's like there's a there's a face in that sun somebody must be flying a spaceship right (laughs) i see okay so the one that's like this fiery orange that's clearly the sun right and now that you say that the silver one is like the moon 
I presume the moon, right? If the other one's the sun, this is the moon. I do see that part of the whole overall shape of it is like this crescent shape, like the moon would be sometimes. So like Mm -hmm. that also makes sense. And they are like traveling, like they travel across the sky. All right. I sort of see it, but boy, does this look like alien pilots. And uh, we see another case of that in another painting from the 17th century, which is the uh, Svetishovel Cathedral. Uh, which is a fresco in uh, Mischeta in Corinthe, Georgia. Um, gosh, I, yeah. uh, I I don't know if we have any Georgian listeners to this <laughs> podcast, but... Uh, How did we do? Yeah. Here, um, I'll give it a try as well. Mischeta. Uh, that's my pronunciation. I'm only doing one. I'm not going to do it in the second try. Uh-huh. Um, you're, you're, the, uh, you're the word photograph. Okay. Photographer. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll describe this one. Uh, this is, uh, again, Jesus being crucified we get it and i i get i mean just people around is this is the interesting thing the red thing that looks like a jellyfish in the sky and the silver thing that also looks like a jellyfish that is in the other side i didn't even see that one sort of blended in yeah so on either side of of j-man here there in the sky looks like uh a sort of dome shape uh with like uh tendrils or like you know exhaust fumes or something coming off of them in like three spikes uh one of them is red on the left side and on the right side one of them is like sort of silvery bluish so would it surprise you as that we get more east that some of the art styles converge with each other and this is the exact same thing (laughs) okay so this is just more sun and moon yeah it's a fairly common motif that showed up in a lot of these paintings um, that makes sense. I mean, they're even literally on this. They're like colored the same. They're each on the uh, on the same sort of respective sides as the other painting. Yes. And yeah. So the reason because the reason that you could say behind this is that these, the art is similar is because they are both um, they're both sort of art that comes uh, from the style of the Byzantine Empire. Um, OK. I don't know if you know about the Byzantine Empire at all. Uh, I, I mean, it definitely sounds familiar, but like I'm not going to pretend I know all all the intricacies of it or what it is. Sure. So so basically what it is is that uh, when Rome was collapsing, right, some people would say like uh, like Rome fell in like, you know, the early first millennium, uh, you know, in the sort of three digit CE years. Some would say that it ended in 18 something with the Holy Roman Empire being overthrown by Napoleon. But um, there was and this is sort of a part that doesn't get a whole lot of attention in our regular history classes. But there was a point where uh, the Roman Empire cracked in half, um, specifically oh. because of the Emperor Constantine, who claimed that he saw a religious vision of uh, God telling him to to build his empire in Constantinople, i.e. Constantine, like, you know, the, Constantinople. Yeah. So he split the empire in half and the Roman Empire then ruled from out of what is modern day Istanbul. But then further, as like the sort of Western and Eastern half of the uh, Roman Empire started to become like they're they they started to drift apart culturally. The Eastern Roman Empire started to you know was more Greek speaking. Uh, Western was still in like the Latin period, and then you also had uh, a religious schism start to form between the two, uh, which is sort of the beginning of the Catholic Church in the West and the Orthodox Church in the East. 
But Kosovo and Georgia uh, were either part or very close to the Byzantine Empire. And so you can kind of see compared to the uh, previous paintings we saw that there is a distinct different style that sort of shows that more uh, Greek Eastern Orthodox type uh, style. I actually don't know if if these are Catholic or uh, Orthodox churches, but there is definitely like a this is sort of like Greek flavored Christian art here. All right. So again, we're talking about in a completely different artistic language because now we're talking about devotional art based in the Byzantine Empire, where sure. there's an entire different, um, different, different like approach to religious art in general. I know that um, the Byzantine Empire went through a lot of what are called iconoclasms, where the idea of depicting holy figures in art, uh, and then also a lot of these are um, in various like states because, like for example, Istanbul used to be like sort of the uh, Vatican city of the Eastern Orthodox Church. But uh, anyone who knows anything about what's going on now, like uh, the sort of big church that Eastern Orthodoxy was based out of is now a mosque because uh, Istanbul became the the headquarters of the Ottoman Empire and it was conquered ah. by the Turks and is all this is like in modern day Turkey. So there's like been a lot of you know religious change and everything like that. Yeah, there's a song about it, right? Yeah, like so this is like one of those, one of those little bits of, of fun history is that like the region uh that makes up the majority of Turkey today, which is called Anatolia, used to have a lot of Greek speaking people there. Uh, and there, there, there was until basically the end of World War One, where uh, Greece and Turkey decided to uh, essentially like they basically like the Greeks kicked all the Turks out of Greece and the, the Turks kicked all the Greeks out of Turkey. And they sort of huh. had a big uh, person exchange. Then they still like there's a lot of animosity between Greece and Turkey today that has to do with like things like um, the island of Cyprus and all sorts of stuff like that there they there was a war in the 70s and there is still an unrecognized turkish republic of cyprus that sort of splits right. the island in half and stuff there's a lot going on geopolitical stuff yeah but um but yeah is, but but basically like this part that is in modern day turkey used to have like a lot of this like greek um christian stuff and honestly like this this uh shows a lot more religious um, strife than in a lot of cases there were because for a lot of the Middle Ages, a lot of these Greek Orthodox Christians in the Byzantine Empire, but also in places like Lebanon and stuff like that, uh, were fairly welcomed uh, under Muslim rule. Uh, oftentimes, if you were what were called people of the book, which is basically any Abrahamic religion under Islamic rulers, you just had to pay something called the jizya, which was like a tax. But in like Baghdad, um, the sort of big capital uh, where like all of the art and stuff was collected, there was a whole lot of Christians who like especially Byzantine Christians who went there and um, debated like all the Greek philosophers and all that kind of stuff like Plato's Republic and all that kind of stuff was all translated into uh, Arabic and stuff there and everything like that. Debate and, bros. Yeah. And so there was this really cool, cool period of uh, of exchange where like Muslim and Zoroastrian and uh, Christian and like all these different and like even like as far like you know east as like indian like hindus and like and stuff like that like we're bringing information all together to this like big islamic empire and it was called the islamic golden age but uh the reason i talk about that is because one of the interesting facts since we're talking about the renaissance that kind of comes through here is that one of the reasons that people think that the renaissance happened mm. is because when the uh when osman or osman the great the, the when the turks uh the ottoman turks uh conquered 
conquered the Byzantine Empire, and they realized that th this this feels very iconic of the end of the Middle Ages. So Constantinople uh, was always uh, impossible to conquer because it had something called the Thessadaran walls, which are like these big, thick stone masonry walls, right? Yeah. And they thought like, oh, they're you know the 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 Turks could not possibly take our city. We're going to hold out forever. Uh, until the walls were brought down by the Turks because they brought cannons. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. Um, and so like, it just shows like how cannons kind of broke the meta, if you will, about medieval warfare because <laughs> castles don't uh -huh. really work much anymore. Um, no, no, that was a, that was a really eye-opening episode of, uh, Deadliest Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then when the, when the Byzantine Empire fell, a whole lot of Greek Christians left, uh, the Byzantine Empire and went, you know, west into Europe. And so you had this like influx of all of these Greek Christians who brought because they because in like the West, they had like burned all of the Greek stuff because it was like heretical knowledge. So like all of like, you know, Plato's Republic and all that, all those like famous works were all destroyed uh, because they were, you know, this is done by pagans. We can't accept this. But the Greeks did not have this kind of version and they brought like you know Plato's Republic translated from Arabic to Europe and like translated it into Italian and to Latin and like kind of started yeah like, sort of restarted this like interest in classical stuff and um yeah that's, uh, that's uh, awesome that's a little little a little off topic but I thought that was a cool no uh, I love it I mean you I'm a sucker for some context you know this about mm -hmm. me also, uh, if you want to even go even more off the walls, that also feels like how that moment is very iconic of, um, you know, the beginning of the end of the medieval period or the end of the because sometimes people call like the fall of Constantinople, like the the end of the medieval period. Um, but furthermore, uh, after the fall of Constantinople, the Ottoman Empire became very huge and very powerful and was like probably one of the most powerful countries in like Eurasia, right? Like it was uh, it was rivaled if not was more powerful than any European uh, power at that point. But that also meant that they had been blocking off all of the Middle Eastern trade routes that went to India and China, where all of the spices and silks and all that kind of stuff was coming from. And so everyone in Europe was like, well, I really like pepper and cinnamon and stuff like that. So we need to find oh, of course. a new way to uh, circumvent the Ottoman Empire to uh, go and get stuff. And they were like, we're going to look for any way. And so you have like um, the Portuguese were like, we're going to sail all the way around Africa and come all the way back up into the Indian Ocean to find India. And then the the Spanish crown was like uh, the Spanish crown that had uh, was hot off of um, finally pushing the last Muslim kingdom out of Spain and Granada was like mm -hmm. talk to a little guy by uh christopher columbus who's like i oh, i have an idea little, of sailing sailing yeah, west to um little little young chris columbo wanted to i think if we go west we're gonna end up right where we want to be yeah and then one of the most horrible things in human history happened but um, yeah and then he, yeah it turns out he wasn't a good wasn't a good person mm -hmm. but you could see but you could see that like, this one moment could sort of yeah, be depicted as like this is like if you were to point at like one thing that could be like the end of the medieval period that it would spur on all of that stuff is, is really interesting absolutely it's like seeing dominoes fall yeah uh i always think that's really cool so uh back onto this uh onto these like onto this art like sort of in a bigger uh sense like what are these things oh they're paintings tristan <laughs> 
I didn't. Uh, we probably should have went over that like really early last episode if you were that confused. So they are so when you you have like colors and then you've got like a brush and then yeah, you've happy got little a trees. canvas and then you paint a little happy little tree. <laughs> add little UFOs. And yep, happy Bob Ross was always adding UFOs to his work. No one knew. Yeah. So like yeah. So there's a couple things that are interesting to go on, which is that like our depict like not only do these paintings show shapes that look like flying saucers, and we have shapes that look like flying saucers. That might be something that's interesting to pick at. And one of the things I found that was interesting is that it might come from the common idea of just like a common idea of aesthetics and design. So okay. like because our uh, spoiler alert for UFO believers, our concept of the UFO flying saucer was made in science fiction and uh, yeah. was designed by designers who wanted to make something that looked cool, right? Looked good. Yeah, uh, it looked cool. It looked, I mean, for lack of a better word, it looked alien. Mm -hmm. It looked alien. Now take these Renaissance painters who are being commissioned by the uh, by their patrons to mm. depict the sort of alien uh, like idea of like otherworldly creatures in heaven. Yeah, this, this inhuman presence among them. Yeah. So you can imagine that they're having the same thing and they're thinking in the same artistic style that they might actually converge on some of the same shapes and ideas. That makes sense. I mean, if if modern like if the modern flying saucer didn't exist and it was some other shape like if it was like the 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 rolling trapezoid instead of the flying saucer if it was yeah. the rolling trapezoid that was the alien thing uh we would be doing this exact same dance people would people would be looking at all sorts of renaissance paintings and, and medieval things and they'd be like do you see this little trapezoid over here this little rounded little trapezoid over here that's aliens yeah i'm telling you but so so but i do think it's interesting that like you know we have similar ideas of style and so and they were trying to depict the same idea uh different different uh ideas behind that idea but they were trying to get the same feeling across and might have converged on some of the same shapes and also that the people who are studying these and trying to find flying saucers and all these paintings are misinterpreting symbolism because they don't even realize that what they're looking at are symbols because uh, if you know anything about art history, there's a whole visual vocabulary that people, you know, that, that has existed for centuries, even millennia, that uh, art historians dedicate their entire life to decoding and analyzing and all that kind of things. It's like, it'd be like if we tried to explain uh, Star Wars Kid to a Zoomer. It would be like trying to explain what all my apes gone means, means. in like 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. The How can you possibly tell someone what all my apes gone means if they don't have the context of, of all of that? Yeah, sentence? you would need to explain a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. And in the same case, we have, that's basically what's happening in a lot of these cases, right? Like, there's a, a, a whole language of symbols that these artists are speaking in because it's contemporary to them in their period and their 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 work that then hundreds of years later, some person who's just looking yeah. for any flying saucer shaped thing in old paintings is coming in and is looking at these things, not really uh, not understanding their own no. context and then just butting in and being like, well, that thing looks like a thing and I don't understand things. And also there's another thing that's really important to point out, which is that there's a very different concept of what the role of an artist is uh, in the past compared to today 
because a lot of the people who are looking for UFOs assume that artists have these expensive paintings uh, that they have any sort of creative control over anything that they make whatsoever. Because like in the 15th century, they are not like there's no the way that art worked back then. There wasn't a case where like a 15th century painter saw a UFO and then would think, oh, man, my creative drive. I'm going to go and paint this in my next work because that's not how art worked back then. No, Uh, no. I mean, you even you even talked about it earlier. Like it was they had patrons. Patrons were paying them to be like, you know, they went to patreon.com slash Leonardo da Vinci. (laughs) Yeah. If we had a Patreon, you know, we would plug it right now, but we do not. Yeah. Um, No, but like, yeah, it it would like their artwork was basically commissioned and they would like, you know, that people would be asking them to do certain things. and, Mm -hmm. and, And yeah. Yeah. So the subject and the execution even like they would be micromanaged uh, would be done on these painters by like churches, nobles, mm-hmm. rich people. So very powerful people who basically yeah. could uh, sometimes hold power over like life and death and stuff like that. We're just paying, like my supporters yeah. over at patreon.com. Yeah, exactly. So they were paying lots of money to get these painters to make these very specific things that they want. And they would not be happy if they went outside any of the established conventions, especially uh-huh. when you're talking about paintings that have to do with religious subjects, which you can imagine yes. is very serious business in the Middle Ages. It's not a thing you can just put your own spin on. Yeah, exactly. Um, in fact, yeah. So in many ways, artists were like work who are paid to do things in a very specific way. And so interesting. One of the comparisons I found was you could know they could no more insert flying saucers into their commissions than your lawyer could add jokes and personal commentary into your will. That's true. That's fair. And it would not only be bad, it could be like actually dangerous because if you like editorialized, it would be scandalous. I would yes. be considered an affront to your patron and very often could lead to your execution. Ooh, that's no good. Yeah. So like you can imagine like that. So like that, that, that's a thing. Thankfully, artists have a much better job. The, you know, their lives are much easier these days. As we talked about earlier, yeah, VFX, VFX artists are living it up and yeah. nothing's wrong with that or anything like that. Everything's great and mm. wonderful for everyone yeah. in every way. So the other, then I guess the next question to kind of round it out is, um, um, that this is this is obviously unwarranted. There's some superficial. I would say that there's obviously some superficial stuff that looks very striking, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah. But um, if you do even a moderately close examination of what's going on, it it makes sense. And also, I point out, I imagine that if you're a Christian or if you're an art historian, seeing UFOs in ancient paintings is probably uh, seen as a distortion of the meaning of that art and probably uh, the intention of its creators who are, you know, devout Christians themselves. And I imagine that Christians specifically would probably find it uh, either somewhere between amusing and offensive to have people make unfounded suggestions that some of the greatest artistic expressions of their faith are, in fact, records of alien visitations. <laughs> and I mean, this just goes back to something we've talked about before with ancient aliens and religious stuff where there's like this there's like this literalism to it where like they think because the theory here would be that someone like whoever all all these artists who painted these paintings literally saw aliens and they were like i'm going to use my art to document this rather than just being like it's art though yeah you know it's also not a photograph right like it's stylistic and symbols it's not a photograph it's 
It's a painting from an artist who is doing their artistic thing where they're not doing, they're not trying to document something exactly how it is. They're, they're doing something, uh, putting some sort of visual poetry on it, if you will. Art, if you will. Yeah, art, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this also speaks to like one of the motivations behind this kind of work and like ancient alien stuff in general, which is that um, it's kind of interesting that um, sightings of UFOs do seem to only show up after the advent of science fiction. Um, huh. And that mm -hmm. possibly the effort to look back so intently to find spaceships in old art could be that they're trying to find cases of UFOs existing before science fiction because otherwise it looks makes them all look very silly yeah um and what I, what I would say is that um this marks that if you're going to be doing say history art history archaeology all of the things that ancient alien seems to delve upon you might want to have some form of cultural competency in the subject that you're studying mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and also like on all the things about like uh, stars and stuff like that like medieval people also did see comets they did see things like the northern lights they yeah. also like the kinds of things that are mistaken for ufos today like meteors northern lights yeah. marsh gas um mm -hmm. you know those things also existed back then and they typically uh interpreted them as miracles right some sort of religious thing or spiritual thing yeah it's it's just it's everyone's just putting their own sort of uh cultural context on yeah. things and ours right now a lot of sci-fi in, in a in a sort of more poetic sense uh in the past it was a group of extremely devout uh religious people who were looking for signs that affirmed their faith yeah in our current age we are i think that in many ways we are still racked uh, existentially by the question of whether or not we're alone in the universe and furthermore, uh, we are sitting on the knife's edge on a lot of very existential threats to our civilization. And so I can imagine that there is a bit of a motivated uh, reasoning to think that there is like, you know, there is another side to this. There is um, that there that if you can see the people who have somehow uh, gotten through climate change, who have gotten through energy crises, who have overcome all of the the threats of nuclear war and developed up, you know, uh, super luminal spaceships that can visit other planets, that that is a little bit affirming to uh, our possible future. And so maybe even the UFO sightings, much like the miracle sightings in the past, are done for similar motivations, if not the same reason. Yeah, I think that's a really nice and very generous way of looking at it. And I think, I think absolutely there, there are parts of it. I, I mean, like as much as I want to be like cynical and be like, but also the reason they're doing it is because it sells books and TV shows and it gets lots of attention. But like, why is it even getting that attention? I think mm -hmm. it's because, I think it's because of, of what you're talking about. I think uh, a lot of people feel uh, are questioning our place, not only just in the world, but in the entire universe. And I don't know whether it's a good thing or a hopeful thing or a scary thing or any sort of mix of everything. I think it just... It, it aims to try and put some kind of perspective on existence as a whole. Yeah, like take a look at like when it would be like a real extraterrestrial intelligence. Like I imagine like you and I like I like there are a few things about the human condition that like I'm genuinely worried that 
like whether or not we're ever we're, that we're going to overcome before we destroy ourselves. Yeah. And if we were to see concrete proof that one other species has done that, that would uh-huh. be very reassuring. I think so. Yeah. And you could see like the UFO phenomenon not only arose with the um, the advent of science fiction, but also um, when there was growing anxieties about um, nuclear destruction and yeah. all that kind of stuff, which I think also says a lot about, you know, uh, our anxieties yeah. and such. And now Chris Nolan's going to make a movie about nuclear anxieties. And uh, that's great. Good timing, Chris. Mm. Love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is uh, that's a nutshell. That is the the the, the paintings episode. Um, I said it was going to be a short one. We did another hour. <laughs> we did another hour. Thank you so much for listening to this word painting. Oh, can I say that? How's yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Let me put that spin on it. Uh, all of the paintings that we talked about, if you want to get a visual look at them, we're going to tweet them out on our Twitter page at probs, not aliens. Uh, you can go follow us there. Tristan and I also make stuff outside of this podcast. We don't just exist here in front of microphones. We exist in the same spaces in front of the same microphones, but for other reasons, yep. right? Tristan, what do you do? Uh, I make a YouTube channel. I, I make videos on a YouTube channel called Step Back, where I talk about uh, history, usually trying to take something that's going on in the world right now and try to get you to understand it through the deeper context of everything that's going on these days. Um, and it seem, seems people people like it. I got, I got a little play like button. It. So um, Lisa, at least a few yeah. people. I found out the other day that, um, that there are only 50,000 people in the United States that have play buttons. That's wild to me. Um, so like every time I'm like, oh, like I haven't accomplished anything. I'm like 50,000 people in America, a country that has 10 times my population have it. So like in Canada, it's like there's probably only like 5,000 people who have them. And I'm like, that's OK. Oh, maybe wow. I, maybe I did accomplish a little bit. of Maybe something. you're doing great. I think um, you're doing great. Scott, you are yeah. a very successful YouTuber as well. Absolutely. Um, I run a YouTube channel called Step Back, where you can go to and subscribe. It's a great YouTube channel um, that you can go to and get and learn about history and how it how it sort of reflects our modern world. You can go check that out. It's at youtube.com slash step back. Is there more to it? I don't know the URL. I, I was nerdsync. YouTube.com slash step slash tri, slash Tristan's channel. <laughs> step step back. Uh, That's no. where you can go to find my to find oh, good yeah? stuff. Yeah. Is it is it my stuff? I don't know. Is it good stuff? Yes. Step back on YouTube. That's where you can go to find. Don't it. you don't you have a nerdsync thing? I do. I have a YouTube channel called Nerdsync. I make bleh, I make video essays about comics and superheroes and cartoons and whatever. You get it. It's I'm good stuff. You're good. You're good at your. I know. Your videos Just let me are shout pretty. Out my They're friend. well written. Let me shout out my friend Aww. for a second. All right. You said in what you said in one of your videos that every single call you do just ends with people complimenting each other. And it's like, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, links to everything will be in the description of the show notes. Uh, you can also leave reviews of this podcast. That would be great. I would love it if you did that, um, because that would make me, me feel like me, really me Scott. Tristan, have you done it yet, Tristan? Have you I don't even think review? I have an Apple account. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. You can leave reviews on Apple podcasts. I think it's the only place you can do it. Um, but I don't know. Maybe if. 
you maybe you can just write a review on a sticky note and leave it out in public somewhere. That could be fun. Yeah, do I that. like that idea. And then take a picture of it and send it to us at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Because uh, that's another way. That's a different way of telling people about the show and yeah. telling people about the show. Is super important, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, it is basically what we need to. Um, this we, there's no recommendation algorithms for for podcasts. So uh, word of mouth is really how we spread. Also, yes. Um, before we break, I also remembered at the very last minute, um, very embarrassingly, that one of the listeners to the show is my very good friend, Nicole. Um, <gasps> hi, Nicole, um, who has a master's degree in art history. <laughs> so oh, um, I'm uh, hi, Nicole. Uh, I hope I did. OK, please hey, tell sorry me we if I did. Our <laughs> sorry, we didn't ask you to be on either of the two episodes we did about <laughs> art. Um <laughs> She's really cool, uh, but I know that she's listening to the podcast. So hi, Nicole. Um, hope I did hi, okay. Hi, Nicole. Uh, did, were my jokes funny? Yeah. Hope you and uh, hope you and Hobbs, your dog, are are doing all right. And that's and a good Ozzie, name. Your cat and Mark, your another good name. Fiance. <laughs> that's a that's a decent name as well. Not as good as the other two, but I like it. But yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Tell your friends, like my friend Nicole. <laughs> yeah, and if you're trying to tell your friends, if you're trying to tell Nicole about the podcast that she already listens to, then you can uh, do that at probsnotaliens.com that's where you can send people mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to find all the links to our show on Apple and Spotify and Google and things it's everywhere we, we're everywhere we're like aliens we're invading yeah we are and we're led by we're, we're aliens led by the power of Jesus Christ yeah. <laughs> so that's all for this week but until next time my friends the truth is out there at 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 Whoa, what was that? I don't know. Mars Attacks. Oh, you're right. Can you do that again, but have also an Italian accent? Attack, 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 attack,